Before I get into today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a giveaway I'm doing with Sekonic Light Meters for, for my 200th episode, which is coming up on February 11th. Uh, the good people over at Sekonic Meters have donated one of their Sekonic LA58D Light Meters that I'm going to be giving away. All you need to do to enter is go to the Photo Banter YouTube page, hit subscribe, and leave a comment on the 200th episode giveaway video, and you'll be entered for a chance to win the Sekonic LA58D Light Meter. And like I said, all you have to do to enter is go to the Photo Banter YouTube page, hit subscribe, and leave a comment on the 200th episode giveaway video, and you'll be entered for a chance to win. You just got to enter by February 10th, and I'll be announcing the winner on episode 200 on February 11th. Um, so thanks so much, good luck, and rem remember to go enter, and you'll have a chance to win this Sekonic Meter. And without further ado, we'll get into today's episode. Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne. And on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Peter Prato. Peter has worked with clients such as the New York Times, Wired, Outside Magazine, and Airbnb to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Peter about studying creative writing in college and what eventually led him to pursue a career in photography. I also speak to Peter about one of his personal projects titled Game of Chance, which he has been working on since 2003 photographing playing cards he has found on the streets in hopes of putting together a full deck someday. Beyond shooting editorial and commercial work, Peter has also collaborated with award-winning film production company A24. Peter is someone who brings a lot of passion to whatever project he's working on, so I was happy to get a chance to speak with him about his journey with photography. So I hope you enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. All right, and now welcome on. Peter Prado, uh, photographer based in San Francisco, right, Peter? That's correct. Yep. Right now. How, how you doing, man? It's been a crazy year for everybody. Uh, but how you hanging in there, man? How's life on the West Coast? You know, so I feel like every time I ask someone how they're doing, I immediately w wish I could just jump in and say, sorry, I, I asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's such a big answer. But yeah. overall, I'm feeling... I, it's sort of, I'm of two minds. <clears throat> I felt a lot of stress this year. And I, I think a lot of people have, mm -hmm. and I haven't really been able to figure out how to, to talk about that stress. And I also feel very grateful. And, and there, there are a bunch of reasons for that. Uh, not the least of which is that my family is healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, although we know people that have gotten sick, everyone that we, we know personally has recovered. Yep. Um, and we live in a place where people are, are taking this thing seriously. Uh, and that, that has, I think, felt safe for us. Uh, we also live in a place where we've been able to go outside, you know, like it's not, it, it gets chilly here, but not, we don't get snow. Like, yeah. when we, you know, for us, it's, it's just a, like a damp cold. It's, or, it's or well, you guys don't get snow, but you guys get insane fires. Uh, which well, you guys had a few months ago and it was like the apocalypse out there. That that was where it started. That was the hardest period of the year for me personally, which is feeling like uh, everything that felt unsafe about 2020 was, was compounded. Yeah. Uh, and we were really like stuck inside. You know, there was, there was a good three, four or five days where I didn't feel like I could take my, my son outside without ca causing like da literal damage to his lungs. Yeah, man. And, and that I think is in a way probably what a lot of people feel and have felt, uh, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis everywhere in this country. 
Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I feel like we've been shielded in San Francisco um, from what other big cities have had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but obviously this year has been tough, man. You yeah. know, we're feeling it in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And in terms of like photographically, have you still kind of been inspired to make pictures? Like I know a lot of people of this kind of, uh, kind of delved into photographing projects during this crazy time but like how have you kind of you still feel inspired or where where are you kind of at creatively right now that's a good question uh it's come and gone in waves you know at the the beginning of of the year i was feeling like things were just you know they were going in the right direction i'd had a very busy end uh well all of 2019 was was good for me yeah Uh, and i came into to uh, 2020 feeling like cool like even though January can be a slow month, I had a lot of momentum behind me. And then when the shutdown happened, I, you know, my joke at first was like, welcome to being a professional photographer, America. Like like, just don't know what's going to happen next, uh, at least with work. And so for the, for that month, I felt like there was kind of a strange sort of guilt lifted, which I, I associate with, having a schedule that's abnormal and, and at times can seem like, yeah. um, like I'm not working, uh, when everybody else is, you know, like to, you know, I, I might go for a run in the middle of the day or swim in the middle of the day, or I might go surf in the middle of the day and that can seem a little irresponsible, but then there are those days where I'm working to like one in the morning or yeah. you know, I'm, I'm working through a weekend. So I was just like, cool. Like I'm going to, focus on what I was already focused on. And I was, I was feeling like it was an opportunity for me to slow down and and kind of look a little bit more closely at my, my local environment. Um, And then, you know, it's just, it kind of, it's come and gone. Like there have been months where I've just not felt at all like making photos. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that's been, I think being stuck inside and looking at the internet and watching people make inspiring work and feeling like yeah what's wrong with me like why, why am i not out there like make it like m- you know making something inspiring out of this yeah and learning that lesson again which is like you got to take it easy on yourself especially in this in this line of work because oh, it's, it's easy t- to compare totally. myself oh yeah man it's the trap and i talk about it constantly on this podcast man it's the constant uh mental warfare that as creative people man because we're all like we're all trying to get your your work out there. You got goals you want to get published and you're comparing. But like the thing I always got to remind myself is like, yeah, the people I'm looking up to, they're like 10 years in front of me or like five years in front of me. And it's just like, it's yeah. not a comparison thing. But yeah, I, I, I struggle with the same shit all the time. I was like, man, because I, I saw like so many people doing like the virtual portrait stuff, like people are doing real, real creative stuff and like creative stuff and hats off to them. But like, I, don't know, I just wasn't really interested in it. So I was kind of been like, oh, yeah, like you said, just kind of taking it how it comes. And if I feel inspired to make something, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, just one day at a time, brick by brick, you know? Yeah, it's surprising to me the number of times I've had to <clears throat> reset my own expectations around what brings me joy with photography. Yeah. And I think that's like a that's a that's a that's a complicated process for, for anyone that's made a career out of something that is traditionally thought of as creative. Yeah. Because partially, you know, you're asking for people's attention. Yep. And I think that, you know, in the first few months of the, of the shutdown, 
I didn't feel comfortable sharing work I was excited about because people were scared and, yeah. and, and they were, <clears throat> I just didn't, I didn't know how to celebrate something at a time when p- people were losing their jobs. And, you know, we were all kind of wondering what was going to happen next. And then when, uh, when the protests, when, when, you know, when black lives matter protests started happening, it felt uh, also like mm-hmm. now is not the time for me to be sharing my work. And s- some of that too, was just like, I think my own self doubt and thinking like, well, it's not as good as what other people were doing. So what's the point? And then, and then, you know, I I came through that and I was like, Oh wait, I I still do have something to say. I have an opinion about uh, the world and and how I see it. And uh, that's okay too. And and I'm excited to share that. So coming back to your question about where I'm at creatively now, a lot of the last month and a half has been, finalizing this process that I started really last year, but uh, uh, thinking about, you know, how do, how do I want to present my work in a new light? Mm-hmm. And so I've got this promo that I've been working on that I'm very yeah. excited about and proud of. And, uh, and there are a few people that helped me kind of uh, that, that shepherded me through that process creatively as well. So it's those collaborations that have really kept me thinking like, uh, feeling excited and, and thinking about my work in a new way. No, that's exciting. Yeah, let me pull up the promo and people can check it out because it, it came out really cool. And the, the, the coolest thing about it is that you had like a, you're a really good writer. Um, oh, thanks, man. And like little excerpts, which I mean, I struggle with writing, but I think it the writing stuff just kind of adds a lot to photography a lot of the times. So I guess with this promo piece, like I, this is something I've been talking to a lot of people about because advertising your business nowadays is real tough because everyone's working from home. So yep. is, is this piece... Is it just going to be a digital promo piece or do you think you're going to print this at some point or what's kind of your goal with this is putting this out? Yeah, the, the goal is to print it. And I just received the proof uh, last week. And so I've gone through that and I have my wife who is a very, very talented designer and has been working in, in, in graphic design among other fields or among other genres of design for, for a long time. Um, and we're, yeah, we're just kind of checking it for cover, making sure everything looks good and making final notes, but it's, it's pretty much, uh, there. And so the goal is to get it physically into people's hands, uh, early in the new year. And Mm -hmm. the reason for that is twofold. Uh, the first, I've never really put something, uh, like this together before. Yep. And, And a lot of credit goes to my designer, George McCallman, uh, and his assistant, um, Ali and they, they were the ones that took my work and then laid it out mm-hmm. in a way that allowed me to see it in a kind of a fresh light. And then the second reason that I want to get this into people's hands is because I, I feel like everybody's been staring at a screen for a year. And yeah. the thing that I've consistently heard over and over again is that editors, especially, but anyone that loves photography, they prefer uh, the tactile experience mm-hmm. uh, of it and whether it's uh, holding a print or holding a promo or a book um, or actually being there. A lot of editors that I know are also very talented photographers. Yeah. And so the, you know, the, the joy of actually be, uh, being able to flip through something uh, I think is at least my opinion is that it'd be well-timed when people are stuck inside. And how are you, and how, yeah, and like, how are you approaching like who you're going to mail it to? Cause that's the thing I was kind of curious about is like, 
because before it was easy you could go on like whatever go online you find whatever magazine or client you want to send it to you find their office address and you mail it to them but yeah. now it's like everyone's working from home so are you basically mailing it to existing clients and people you've kind of met along the uh, along the line or like how are you kind cool. of approaching who you're going to mail it to because before you could just mail promo pieces people you never met before but now it's kind yeah. of tough it's like hey uh can i get your home address that <laughs> i've never met yeah. you before yeah. like how, how, how's this kind of the logistics of this going to work so that that's a good question <clears throat> and it, it dovetails with uh what i think is one of the reasons why i've never done this before which is that i took the very long slow kind of asymmetrical approach i think as far as the industry is concerned uh i can't speak to what is like the most common way of doing this but i i think for a long time it was people just digging through the internet, trying to find email addresses and yeah. then emailing, uh, you know, many, many times trying to get somebody's attention. And then if mm -hmm. they could either get a meeting in person or yeah. mail something to the office, uh, which is slow and laborious and, and, and also uh, expensive too. you know, if you're going, if you're paying for one of the services that gives you yeah, access ag agency to, access and yeah, exactly. Like yeah. And I never really did that. And I think that's, you know, uh, one of the reasons why it took me so long, to, to get editorial work, but also to be able to get to this point, which is that I, I just didn't quite feel ready for that. And it also just never felt quite right for me to just cold email people mm -hmm. in that way with, with promo work. Um, I do reach out to people all the time just to get their advice or to get five minutes. Yeah. Um, kind of in the same way that we're talking right now, I feel like the internet's a very powerful tool just to get people's attention. Yep. And so I built most of my business around kind of presenting as someone who wasn't going to waste anybody's time, was interested, was curious uh, in what they do. And I think a lot of that came by way of other photographers that were like, look, you got to keep showing up. You've got to be diligent. Um, you've, you've got to reach out to people multiple times, but you've also got to make good work. And then yep. when you get people's attention, you've, you've got to, uh, take advantage of their time as respectfully as, po as possible. Yep. And so uh, I built relationships over a long period of time with uh, editors that I work with, with editors that I want to work with, just letting them know like what I'm excited about that they're doing. Uh, because, you know, I think everybody working in this business wants to get some acknowledgement for their hard work. Definitely. Not just the photographers, but the, you know, everybody, the designers that lay out the magazines and, and so the, the first wave of uh, uh, mailings will go out to people that I have relationships with, but I've never met in person. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few of them. Uh, and then the second wave will be people that I've reached out to that have acknowledged that I'd be interested in sending something to them. Um, and I think, you know, they're smart people. They know I'm not going to waste their time. Yeah. And then the third wave will be, I think, reaching out to friends in the industry that uh, might have some advice on how to get it on the desk of people that are not in the office. Uh, because you're right, it, it, we're facing a new kind of challenge with people potentially not going back to offices for yeah. the foreseeable future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's why I was just, I've been asking everybody how they just kind of been approaching marketing because it is like uh, uncharted territory. But the one thing yeah. that's kind of become interesting through this uh -huh. pandemic, I think, is that like Zoom has this become like a like normal thing, like hitting someone up because I know tons of people are actually just you can reach out to photo editors and I know some photo editors that will 
now they can't meet in person, but they'll zoom with the photographer. They have met to look at their portfolio online and I've had some friends have had some, some success that way. So it's kind of interesting to see the technology. Now it's like yeah. people utilizing the stuff to their advantage. Um, but I guess like uh, when you're putting this together, uh, how did you kind of decide like what photos you're going to put into it? And uh, this kind of the editing process, I guess. Yeah, that, that began with, uh, so a year ago, I was working with a book designer by the, uh, the name of Terry Ratzlaff, who's just fantastic. Yep. Uh, he's, I don't know if he's from Colorado, but I know, uh, I knew of him through uh, Benjamin Rasmussen and the crew out in, in Denver, uh, a Pattern, I don't know if you follow them, um, but uh, check them out. I will. Uh, yeah, they're they're uh, basically a gang of photographers that are based in Denver. They're doing beautiful work, top to bottom, um, and celebrating beautiful work kind of from around the country. So, pattern like a, it's like an agency. It's like a- Pat, no pattern. Pattern is is a building that is one part gallery, one part bookstore, one part studio space that was started, co-founded by Benjamin Rasmussen. Okay, and. Ben and Terry are friends. And I think I, I came onto Terry's work, uh, his bookmaking work th- through Ben and reached out to him and eventually hired him to, to make me uh, hand, make me a, a portfolio case. That's beautiful. Uh, and then uh, in tandem to that, I started the process of digging into all my work and figuring out, all right, what not, what are the things that I want to put in the first iteration of this? Because it's, it's, it's Chicago screwbound. So it wasn't intended to be a, a permanent collection of work. It's not mm. a monograph. Yeah. Um, but I did want to showcase the work I was proud of, but also the work that I want to get. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I, I began that process and through that process, I had several different edits that uh, a handful of friends helped me lay out uh, uh Cole Wilson, one of them, another fantastic photographer, Emily Breezy, amazing photographer, now studying at Yale. Wow. Uh, they took a look at it. They kind of, you know, gave me back my own work in the way that they saw it. And then I called that down to, I think, probably 50 or 60 images. And then I handed that over to, to George, uh, who is um, the lead designer for this. And George and Allie took that work and then came back to me with, I think, I think we've got 27 images in the, in the final promo. Yeah. Uh, and it, and I, you know, George knows me and I let them know that the one element of this, which you've already commented on was that I want to communicate that writing is part of my process. Mm-hmm. I haven't really done that except for by way of uh, an occasional newsletter I send out and then Instagram. Uh, and those aren't the best ways to let people know that the writing is an important part of the process for me because yeah. in, in the future, I would like to do more of that as well. No, that's awesome. And I was just—I won't cover all the photos, but a couple of the pictures because I'm reading everything. I was just kind of curious the backstory. Um, yeah. This story here, which I believe you were photographing at a, a, a women's prison. What, what was it? Was this a personal project or an editorial piece, or how did this kind of come about? It's a weird one. So I had a, a, a client reach out. Uh, I can't even remember how they got in touch with me originally. I think it was uh, somebody who had seen some work of mine uh, in maybe the times and they were working for a company that was starting a magazine, mm-hmm. really kind of a strange situation. And uh, that mag, that company 
was a client of the group that contracts with this prison to employ these women in a call center. Mm. And they asked me if I was interested in, in going to Arizona for a day and meeting some of these women and photographing them. And, uh, yeah. So I said, yes, I was interested. And I could say a lot about this, this particular shoot, but what I'm touching on in the copy, which is that I was only kind of given glimpses of what I felt like was actually going yeah. on. Uh, it felt a little weird. And, it, and, and so I, I came away from that feeling like I shot something that this company was promoting uh, in a magazine that they had developed internally yeah. um, that uh, didn't necessarily want to talk about maybe the full scope of what it means to be a, uh, in this particular prison in Arizona, which is, the, I think, the largest women's It's the only women's prison in Arizona and one of the largest, if not the largest prison in Arizona. And this call center has generated a lot of money, like billions of dollars in, in uh, sales for a variety of companies out there that I don't think like to talk about the fact that their call center is partially staffed by uh, female inmates. Um, that being said, the women that I did meet, both that were uh, currently incarcerated and some of the women that had previously been incarcerated, talked very openly about how this had given them an education and a sense of purpose. And, and for those that were released a job uh, that was very positive. So uh, it kind of reminded me that you got to be really careful about going into any circumstance with um, the idea that the photography is only going to serve a positive purpose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that is it. I, I watched some documentary about the prison system and like the for-profit prisons. I don't know if this one is, but there's just a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of crazy stuff that goes in on that industry. And uh, well, it, it, it's wild. But how, how did the women re respond to being photographed? Were they all? That, that was sort of where it was a little bit weird. I mean, they, they had said, yes, they were willing to be photographed and they were all, you know, lovely and, and willing to talk. I mean, we weren't together for, for but maybe a few hours. Yep. We were willing to talk about you know, what, what led them to being incarcerated. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were people in the room that I think they didn't feel comfortable speaking candidly around. And yep. so I don't, I don't think I got to hear anything but what was the most positive and the most glowing parts of their experience with the program. Yep. Um, but I can't imagine that there would be nothing at all negative to say about it. Yeah. Uh, and so overall they were, they were uh, lovely. I chose not to show their faces in this photo because I don't feel like uh, th this particular image uh, and the writing that accompanies it is more about how you can end up in a situation where people have agreed to let you photograph them, mm -hmm. but, but you're, it's not always clear why they agreed to that. Yeah, no, definitely. No, that's very oh. inter interesting. And yeah, definitely a tough one. And uh, another uh, portrait, which I definitely related to this was this portrait of this actor. I've seen him in a couple movies. Uh, well, on the, on the right here. Yeah. I forget his <laughs> name. Stanfield is his name. Yeah. When and I believe maybe I'm, from what i read it was like you took a portrait of him and it wasn't like a he wasn't as game as you would hope him to be in the portrait scenario which i think every photographer can relate to uh 
it just happens. But what was kind of yeah. your experience? Kind of it's a great portrait, but what was kind of your experience kind of making this? I guess. Yeah, so I was I was shooting um, for a uh, production company that hired me to shoot uh, stills for Sorry to Bother You, which is a Boots Riley film from a couple of years ago. Oh, great yeah. movie! Great movie. It, so you know it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Bo- Boots is a, a crazy character. So if, you know, for those of you that don't know, uh, yeah, Oakland uh, rapper uh, who started a band called The Coup. He is uh, he's beloved uh, in the town of Oakland. He wrote a, a, a graphic novel that was optioned by a production company. Um, I think it was originally published by McSweeney's. It was optioned, turned into a film. Boots was given the opportunity to direct. Uh, and it's a little bit of a longer story that weaves throughout this promo, but I've been working with actors for a number of years and uh, my name got tossed into a hat to do uh, some other work for this film. Uh, and it led to me shooting uh, stills and behind the, some some behind the scenes stuff, but mostly production stills. Yeah. And this moment with Lakeith, I think I was on set for a total of seven days. Uh, this is one of the days where we were just hanging out in between scenes. And uh, yeah, you know, working with actors on set is a very specific thing. Uh, I think I'm big, uh, you know, multi-million, ten, you know, 10 million and above. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, shoots you don't get quite as much access to actors yeah. um, but you know it's like all eyes on them all day long and I think when when they're not on camera they don't necessarily want someone lurking about with a camera taking pictures yeah um, and, but we just happened to be hanging out there and the light was beautiful and it seemed pretty chill and uh and yeah, so I asked him if I could just make a portrait and then I guided him into making what essentially would be kind of version of an editorial portrait that I would make. This is not a production still. Yeah. It's not a, a BTS uh, shot. It was just something that I thought looked cool and was interesting. And you can kind of see the look on his face, which is, well, I guess you can read into that. I don't really know what he was feeling. I, I guess I read like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But I loved it. It's a great picture. The light's great, the wall and everything. But I, I just so much related to it because I've had so many instances like that where as a photographer, it's like you're in this situation and you're like, you kind of almost, there, there's like an awkwardness to it sometimes. But you're like, you got to push through it because it's yeah. just, you got to get a cool photo of there's like the good light. You just have to push through those situations, you know? Yeah, people are going to give you what they're going to give you. And and when I did have the opportunity, which is, again, I think very rare, but I did on this sh- on, on set uh, for the movie to get a few minutes at a few key scenes to direct the actors, him, Tessa Thompson, Army Hammer, uh, back into a scene, which is something that I learned how to do uh, with uh, directors and actors for the stage. They, they were uh, 100% professional and did exactly what I needed, exactly when I needed them to do it. This isn't a scene in the movie. And so I, I don't know what he's giving me. This is just what I've got. Yeah. You know? And I don't like telling people what to do unless I'm working with an actor who needs to perform a specific emotion for a specific purpose uh, at that moment. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't think it's uh, like I said in the copy, you know, it's like sometimes shooting portraits like 
D's is like knocking on a stranger's door and asking if you can have dinner with them. Yeah. It no, work like that. no, I loved it. Yeah, I so much related to it. So it was, it, that was just kind of showed like you're where the writing kind of comes into it. Um, it, have you always kind of being that you do photography and you said writing's a big component to your work. Um, what kind of came first for you? Is it photography or writing or how did that you kind of get into those both kind of mediums, I guess. Yeah, photography came early in life. My, my mom and, and dad gave me a camera when I was a kid. And I used to carry this little 35 millimeter, um, I think it was like a Kodak camera. Uh, I can't remember what plane, what model it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had a little a little pouch that uh, you know, hung <laughs> around my neck. And it had, <clears throat> it had two pouches, actually. It had one for the camera and then one in front of that that could hold one roll of 35 millimeter film nice. and i just dug it you know <laughs> i i grew up in central pennsylvania and uh you know it was pretty wide open area uh and my access to the outside world this is you know pre-internet uh was tv and magazines and specifically my aunt and uncle had given me a subscription national geographic mm-hmm. and uh that was around like you know i was like eight or nine about the same time that my mom gave me a camera and I just thought, man, this is amazing. Like the fact that you can see something and it can inspire you and you can capture that and then show somebody later what that thing looked like. Yeah. uh, It's still one of the things that excites me the most about photography. So that, that was there as a, as a kid, the writing came later and I don't know, I think national geographics certainly, you know, inspired the idea that writing should or could accompany photography, but it wasn't um, until I actually got to college, which is in Southern California, I went, went to UCSD, where I thought I, I should probably reach out to somebody and find out how one becomes a professional photographer because I just had no idea. Yeah, and that was my my sophomore year of college, and again, I this is. Uh, it's not pre-internet at this point, but it's early, kind of early days. This is back in like 99. Okay. 99. And uh, I, yeah, I got an email address for somebody at National Geographic and I wrote to them and I was like, what do I do? And <laughs> they said, don't, don't study photography. They're oh, like, really? That's what they told you. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, they were, they were pretty candid about it. I don't even remember who it was. I wish yeah. I could find out. <laughs> Thank you. But they were, they were pretty candid with, with, uh, look, you need to know how to work a camera. You absolutely need to know how to tell a story, but most of our photographers are specialists. And so we recommend uh, interdisciplinary study, you know, mm-hmm. go, go focus on, something else that will give you a way of understanding how to tell a story about specifically about people. Um, I think uh, certainly there are wildlife photographers to whom this applies, but the examples that they gave were anthropology, sociology, and literature. And as a 19 year old kid, I was like, anthropology, sociology, like what, what does a sociologist do? (laughs) Like just no idea. (laughs) I could have just walked down to the counselor's office and found out. (laughs) <laughs> the literature made sense. And I grew up in a house where my dad loved movies. My mom loved books. And so I thought, yeah, I love, I love to read already. Like I can study that. Great. And National Geographic is, is saying that that's a path. Yeah. And so I started studying literature and one thing led to another. And I, that, that's what got me into uh, working and in, in publishing. So I got interested in writing because I was reading a lot of books 
I was surrounded by people that were studying writing. And then I ended up uh, majoring specifically in or emphasizing uh, in creative writing. So were you, when you're studying literature at that point in college, were you still taking pictures just kind of in your own time or did, did you kind of put the camera down for a, a time period or how did you yeah. kind of get back to shooting pictures more, I guess? Yeah, the, the camera was around for sure. Um, but <clears throat> not, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't making anything that I could definitively say was a pursuit of photography. Yeah. It was still just like random stuff. Photography was, was, uh, on a whim, you know, mm -hmm. like I shot a lot of photos of friends around the dorms, um, and that sort of thing. I did bring my camera with me. I studied abroad in, in Florence. Oh, wow. I brought my camera to, to Italy with me. And then when I traveled backpacked around Europe, you know, uh, which again, I'm, I'm amazing that I was able to do that. Uh, I brought my camera with me and bought a bunch of film and shot. And that was my junior year of college. And that was kind of, there was a period between uh, end of high school and my end of college where I was photographing less and I was uh, writing more and I was interested in painting as well. So yeah. kind of got interested in, in art in general. Uh, but it wasn't until kind of the end of college that I was thinking more about how I might bring photography back into my life. But writing had kind of jumped out in front, yeah. which is what led me to, to working and publishing in New York. Oh yeah, I saw that. I, I looked at your LinkedIn before, and I saw yeah you spent some time. I think the was it called? I was worried that you would do that. Nah, it, it's good. You get good information on there. It was like, shit, uh, <laughs> I don't want to explain some of this stuff. Yeah, because when you're working in publishing, I think you it looked like you spent some years at some place called I think it was called Inside Track, if I read correctly. Well, so that was post publishing. So I worked. I I, I left college for New York and worked for a lit, literary agency out there. I had started. Uh, interning for a lit agency yep. in San Diego. I worked for a woman uh, named Sandy Dykstra, who is a literary agent. Met someone at that agency that then moved to New York and uh, later offered me a job or knew of a job that was coming up uh, at the lit agency in, in Manhattan. And I had had my heart set on moving to New York City all through college. So I moved to New York and then <clears throat> uh, came back to the West Coast, but I moved to San Francisco and yeah. kind of uh, struggled with what to do. Wasn't quite sure. This is like, you know, early 20s. I uh, was still working part time for a lit agent up in uh, Mill Valley, which is Marin County, just north of San Francisco. And long story short, I decided I don't want to do this anymore. <clears throat> I want to do something else. And uh, so... I moonlit in politics for a minute, uh, which was another weird kind of. I like it, man. Bag. You got your hands in a lot of different bags, man. Writing, painting, dude. Yeah. I like it. It's yeah, it's, I, I hesitate to, to even mention <clears throat> some of the things because I, I get sidetracked easily. But <laughs> basically, I answered an ad on Craigslist, led me into politics, and through that gig, uh, basically raising money for uh, Democratic campaigns. Yeah. I met someone that got me the gig at Inside Track, which is is relevant because that's where I came back to photography. And Inside Track is a company that um, where so I was a life coach for university students for seven years. So and that, that would be, so that would that be like a 
students that are already in the school or like people that are like thinking about coming to school and looking for guidance or like how did that kind of work? Students that were already in school. So th this is a very random thing. I was in my mid twenties. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't ready to pursue photography full time. <clears throat> I didn't even know how to do that. I was, I was feeling pretty lost and pardon me. I just needed a job. Yeah. And I, the a woman that I had met previous um, on that previous gig, uh, you know, working for fundraising campaigns had taken a job with this company that was working with university students and it sounded interesting. So I interviewed and I got the job. And next thing I know, I was, I was coaching, uh, university students around the country, almost entirely over the phone. Wow. And they were a combination of brick and mortar traditional students, which is 18, 19 year old kids going to colleges like I did, you know, on campus. And then, uh, non-traditional students, so working class adults that were getting their degrees online. Mm -hmm. And my job was to uh, work with these people half hour a week to help them figure out what their priorities were such that they could stay in school and continue on and do well. And, and, and that was all built around the premise that the dropout rates for, for universities uh, nationwide are, are pretty high. Yeah. And I don't know what they are now, but at the time it was like almost one out of every two four-year degree students would not finish. Because so much the, money, man. It's exactly. Crazy. Man. It's a huge drag on the economy. It's a huge drag on people's lives. And so the people that started the company that I worked for had come from a, a, a background in education. And so mostly I was like a blue-collar psychologist, just wow. helping people figure out how am I going to uh, – uh, succeed in school and then eventually graduate i was working with them typically during their first in some cases se second year wow that actually seems like a pretty interesting job like because you get the it's not similar to photography in a sense because you're interacting with so many different type of people on a day-to-day -day basis it was a perfect layup to portrait photography you know yeah. you're kind of so to speak getting in people's faces making them a little uncomfortable yeah uh, asking them maybe questions that they don't necessarily want to answer, mm -hmm. uh, but, but mostly taking an interest in people. Yeah. And it was at that job surrounded by people who were professional coaches that I met someone who inside of a, com a half an hour, half hour long conversation with them. And this is somebody that I had not, I didn't know they were new, uh, you know, we had just hired them asked me, why aren't you taking pictures anymore? And I was like, man, you just stuck me to a wall. Like, <laughs> it's it's pretty incredible what's possible when you're talking to people who are really listening. Yep. And that was 2006, and it was that same night that I went home, pulled my cameras out of the closet, and I thought, if I don't at least try to find out how to make a career out of this, I'm always going to regret it. And and I just I, I I wasn't comfortable with that, so I started carrying my camera with me everywhere I went. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. And like for a lot of people listening, because, you know, I got a lot of messages from people like in the similar situation, you know, they got a full time job and their but their dream is to become a photographer and go for, like freelance full time. Like, how did you kind of make that transition to like you got a full time job, you got a good career. But then it's like, in, like you said, in the back of your mind, you know, photography is what makes you happy. But like, how do you make that transition to pursuing it full time, I guess? It's a slow, long, hard way. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I got, I think it, I can't speak for everybody, but I think a lot of people 
especially that look like me, that get to be a professional photographer, luck is a huge part of that. You know, I just the fact that I was able to go to college and have access to the internet to be able to reach out to National Geographic to, to, to meet all these people that would kind of shape and, and guide my path uh, is incredibly fortunate. So that was a big part of it. But then you actually gonna act on it. And so the Alex Miller, the woman that I, I just mentioned, who had asked me why I wasn't taking pictures anymore was kind of what kickstarted the process. And then uh, again, my very supportive parents, my, my mom uh, has always been a big supporter of photography in my life. And they, my parents had given me a camera for graduation in high school. And then again, uh, almost 10 years later, when I was kind of getting back in to the idea of pursuing it as a career. Yeah. She bought me a used camera on eBay. I wow. used digital camera and I started carrying that with me everywhere. And then a friend of mine whom I went to college with one of my best friends, Emily Payne, she, uh, she has a studio here in the city and she was shooting family portraits, uh, working with newborns that, 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 that's still her business. And she said, yeah, you can, you know, I, I ask me whatever you want. I'll help you however I can. And then she gave me my first event gig. So she let me borrow a digital camera before I owned my own to shoot a gig that she couldn't shoot just so that I could have that experience. Wow. And I was still working the full-time job, but that, that was how I got into making money with photography. And then from there, it was just, you know, one brick at a time, man, you know, I built trying to build this house uh, in whatever way that I, I could. And so I started assisting on weddings. I started learning how to write contracts, just basic contracts. Um, I started learning how to build invoices, but I was still working that full-time job. And it was also at that job that a coworker who had seen me carrying my digital camera around with me everywhere I went, asked if he could borrow it because he had uh, co-founded a theater company yeah. here in San Francisco and they wanted to shoot one of the rehearsals. And so I let him borrow the camera Pardon me. And like two or three weeks later, I was like, Hey, like, how did it work out? Can, can I see the photos? Cause they had deleted them off the, the card oh, and they yeah. it back to me. And when I saw the photos, I thought, I think I can do that better. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I asked if I could come to the theater and uh, I had an interest in, in acting because my sister was studying it. And what, you know, once I got there, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. I'm getting to watch people perform plays in this dark room I'm getting to see how they engage with one another and how a play comes to life. And then I realized I just couldn't get the light quite right. I started working with the guy in the booth to try to control the lights and it's all continuous lighting, which is uh, great if you're working with continuous lighting, that's bright enough, Yeah. but it wasn't. And so I reached back out to that same friend, Emily, uh, and asked her if I could take the actors into her studio with the director and try to recreate the scenes with the strobes that she owned. And at that point, I think it became clear to me that I was stubborn enough and curious enough uh, and, and willing enough to just keep going down that path to figure out, uh, well, just how far I could take it. 
And did you have like a, were there like photographers at that point? Were you looking at a lot of other photographers work and kind of studying the craft? And like, was there kind of like a goal in mind? Cause like looking at your work now, it's a lot of, you shoot for the New York times. You do some cool stuff with like a 24, which is like, we'll get into it. It's like yeah. one of the best movie production companies in the business, I think right now. Um, but was there a kind of goal starting off? Were you even thinking about like editorial and that kind of avenue at that point? you think? Yeah. So it was, it was a combination of interests and really that's why I decided to pursue photography as a career. Uh, ultimately it, it had to do with the fact that I was interested in a lot of different things. And at the time when I was thinking about photography coming back into my life, this is the late aughts, 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking about going to grad school to study public policy. And, and ultimately what, what I realized was I'm, I'm not going to be able to satisfy my curiosity in any more effective way than to pursue photography, because that's going to open doors to meeting all kinds of different people that work in, in, in all kinds of different arenas. And that was more appealing to me than picking any one of those disciplines and going down that path, uh, which I don't know, maybe that may, means I'm a generalist in uh, <clears throat> with respect to my, my interests, but yeah. with photography, it be became uh, pretty clear as I got further into it that I needed to have a specialty uh, as far as, you know, what was inspiring, who was I looking to? I was working, you know, because I'm in San Francisco, I have access to a lot of uh, museums and a lot of great art. I was working right down the street from the SF MoMA. So on my lunch break, I would just go see, I bought a membership uh, early on when I was working at that, uh, in higher, in the higher education job. And on my lunch break, I would go over and I would just wander the museum, you know, and I would look at whatever was coming in, not just the, the, uh, photo work, but painting, sculpture. Yeah. So you name it. <clears throat> and I, I would do, I did that when I was living in New York and I've done that kind of, I, everywhere that I've traveled, I've, I've always tried to make a little bit of time for art. And so there were a lot of inspirations coming in feel like with respect to photography, because I didn't, I only took one photo class in college. My education in photography is, uh, came late and it's still, I feel like I, I still have so much to learn uh, about, you know, with respect to who's working currently, let alone who's made work yeah. previously. Uh, and, you know, I'll never get to the end of, of that bucket. Yeah, not so many people. And I've I guess seen Diane Arbus's uh, uh, retrospect, which was, I think, the first retrospect of hers in t over two decades at SF MoMA. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, I think, 2007, maybe, uh, was amazing. Yeah. You know, being able to see those photos uh, in person in the museum uh, had such a huge impact on me, uh, and both because of the portraiture, but also because of the street element to it as well. Uh, and at the time I was very interested in street photography. I'm, I'm still interested in it, but I was making uh, more street photo images than I was portraits. I just don't show that work because I never found a way to, to build a career out of it. Yeah. It's, that's a tough thing to do. Um, well, yeah, you have one project on your site. I, let me see what I, I got. I forget what it's called. It's uh thing called tra transits which is kind of oh, yeah. i guess that would be like street photography right yeah there's an element of that to it i it's funny i uh, that, that's a project that i started while i was in uh, new york on a trip there 
I don't however many years ago, where I would just stand in one place and I would photograph people passing in front of the camera. Yeah. And th- this is one example of that. Uh, and I, I, you know, it was just sort of a personal artistic interest of mine. And in the writing that I do about this, this it's funny that you bring this up because I feel like this is a section of my site that no one has ever looked at except for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so I don't have a lot of practice talking about it, but my interest in this in particular has to do with my curiosity about how being photographed or videotaped affects people's behavior. Yeah. And what I was particularly curious about in making these images was the fact that I could stand there and just hit the button over and over and over again and see people passing in front of my camera, uh, seemingly not seeing me take pictures of them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about how people behave when they become used to the idea of being on camera all the time. And that touches a little bit on my interest and, and my concern about living in what some people kind of think of as the modern surveillance state. Trevor Paglin talks a lot about this with respect to, to facial recognition technology. Yeah, it's everywhere. Like look at any building in any like big city has cameras everywhere. Uh, like in not every state. I know in Rhode Island, I just got a freaking ticket like a week ago. They said I ran, they said I ran a red light, I guess. Uh, and I got a ticket for it because it was not, they had the camera. Like they have a camera on every corner, like in Providence, Rhode Island. So they'll catch you on camera if you speed or stuff like that, I guess, which is this kind of. I've been there. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then also the other uh, thing I'll touch on in this particular writing is I have an interest in physics. I have, uh, I never studied physics uh, formally. It's just something that I'm, I'm curious about. Yeah. And there's this concept of, uh, uh, something called super state theory, like uh, the way that particles behave on a subatomic level. Yep. And there's this theory that if you stick a cat in a box and you can't see the cat in the box, is the cat alive? Is it dead? Well, super state theory says it's in both states at once. It's it's a crazy way of understanding um, uh, a, a division of physics that Einstein referred to referred to as being spooky (laughs) and uh the idea is that when you observe something you affect its state and i'm really curious about that with respect to photography like Mm -hmm. uh, how are we changing the people that we're seeing or how are cameras changing the people that they are seeing simply because they are seen and um and and can we observe that change Can, can it be measured uh, and, you, and you'll see in some of those photos every now and then someone will have noticed me. Uh, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm curious in general about how we affect one another without re- realizing it. There's a lot of subtlety in photography and it's a way of, of getting at that concept that we have an impact on each other just by way of passing one another on the street. And then again, if we're passing one another on the street and there are cameras pointed at us, um, are we are we growing accustomed to behaving in ways that we wouldn't behave otherwise because subconsciously we know that we're being videotaped yeah it is wild i think about photography nowadays like um i have like a two-year-old niece and like there's literally like every day of her life is going to be photographed up to a certain point and it's like yeah. for me like growing up 
Like, you know, it was pictures of me as a kid, but not to that level. It was, like, pictures, like, at my birthday party because it was, like, film and, like, Christmas and stuff like that. But now, like, photography is, like, uh, yeah, it's just everywhere because it's in your pocket. And, like, every kid growing up has, like, some kids have, like, a, my other friend, yet they have, like, a hashtag for their kids. So they store their photos like that, yeah. which is just really interesting. This is how photography is utilized now. And then everyone's, like, their own photo editor to a degree, like they're editing and figuring out what they're going to put out there on their social media. And this like the, this how much photography is produced now is just way different than back in the day. Yeah. I think it takes the joy out of it personally. You know, I, I, it's one of the reasons, you know, why I like to print photos. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of people come back to the point I was making earlier, enjoy the printed material is because it, it is less overwhelming, you yeah. know, Flipping. How many times has someone wanted to show you a photo and they're flipping through their phone and they're like, just a second. Yeah, yeah, what's it? It's 3,000 yeah. photos. Yeah, I probably have like 5,000 photos on my phone. It's insane. <laughs> there's, I think there's been a sacrifice of joy for the sake of, of convenience in general, technologically speaking. Yeah. So you, in terms of like printing, um, so like are you mostly this, you print like everything that you shoot pretty much or this kind of yeah. the st stuff you're kind of, that's going to go in your book or what does the actual act of printing do for you? Yeah, it's an, <clears throat> so definitely don't print everything that I shoot. <laughs> I, would, I couldn't <laughs> afford that even if I wanted to do that. Um, we, up until uh, last year, my wife and I were sharing a studio which uh, in which I would print uh, things occasionally to uh, either to hang up just as a kind of a reminder or to slip into a box as a way of remembering kind of like that period. Uh, the act of printing from, from me, I think it's funny. Often it's a reminder that there are people that are better at printing than I am. So <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, lately uh, I've been working with, um, <clears throat> there's a, a group called light source is based here in, in San Francisco. There, there are two that I've worked with Candela fine art printing over mm -hmm. in the East Bay, who's worked with a bunch of fantastic photographers, uh, Todd, uh, Todd Hito, am I pronouncing his last name? Oh yeah. Hido, Todd Hido. Todd Hido. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and then light source, which has worked with a bunch of great photographers, uh, and, so, yeah, I, and in fact, I should look up, <clears throat> there is, there are a couple of names that I, you know, people that I would love to share, um, but uh, let's see here. I'll, I'll bring it up in a moment. <clears throat> um, working with people who are professional printers yeah. is, has been for me a reminder that the collab collaboration in photography is is really one of the most joyful parts for me and while I love to print on my own it you know I, I just can't print at the level that that it, people who dedicated Their themselves lives. to the craft can yeah. and so it's awesome to see your work treated uh with a kind of reverence by people who uh have you apply that reverence to the printed matter um, so, you know, for, for me, it's, it's really, I, it, it relates back to going to museums and standing there and in, in front of a, of, of an image and thinking, this is what that photographer saw, yeah. you know, and when I'm, and when I'm staring at a screen, uh, I am just distracted, you know, it's the tabs open or it's the phone or whatever. But when I'm staring at just a printed image, I'm not going to get a text on that piece of paper. You know, yeah. I'm not going to get an email. <laughs> nothing, nothing's going to like ping me or distract me. 
it's there's there's something kind of sacred and slow about that yeah and definitely the slowness of that i think is exactly what a lot of photographers talk about and even the return to film and film cameras which is this sort of I, I think a universal sensation that human beings feel when they slow down and concentrate on one thing. Yeah. Uh, and we're living in an age where we're, you know, we're just very distracted. And, Dude, it's bad, uh, man. Like, I, it's like, I, even me, it's like, I have to like put my phone away sometimes. Like, cause there's just so many distractions now. I feel like I have my attention span gets worse and worse. Like being able to like sit down and watch a movie now is like, you're always just thinking about other shit. So like, I just have to like throw my, turn it off or put, I'll leave it in another room just so you can like sit and be still and like, just not worry about all that incoming traffic because it never stops. Yeah. I, I was going to say <clears throat> that uh, at least with respect to, to printing word long, who is um, primarily been the guy that I've worked with at light source. He just released a book called summer sub summer sublet. Mm -hmm. uh, just a wonderful photographer, a lovely writer, a lovely human being, uh, peer 24, uh, wow. has just, uh, made a mention of his book. That's um, when you meet somebody like Ward who takes the time to understand how your work should look when it's not on a screen, yeah. uh, if you're not a master printer gives you a way of seeing your work that is as close to being there as possible. And I, I think generally speaking, that's what I'm after as a photographer, which is that the thing that drew me to images when I was young and the thing that draws me to making the images now is the sensation of actually being there. Yeah. So if I've made an image that makes a person feel like they're there, then I've succeeded. Uh, and it's easier to feel that way when you're looking at a printed image, I think, Mm -hmm. than if you're looking at a screen. And, and and that's not to say that you can't have that feeling looking at a screen, but again, you're gonna, if you can get a text or an email or, you know, there's just constantly shit popping up that's just taking your mind away yeah. from what you're looking at. It's kind of like, it's almost, I guess the analogy I would make is like, it's almost like watching a movie at your house versus going to the theater. It's like two different experiences. It's like, yeah. it's I love going to the theater for that reason. Yeah, man, I miss it. That's like my number one thing I miss right now. Yeah, um, man, I'm sad that, that this idea that, that theaters will go away. Uh, and even that, too, the collective experience, you know, uh, as much as I liked having moments in museums by myself with, mm -hmm. with, a, with a piece of art, you know, sitting with an Agnes Martin by yourself, like the, the fact that you can do that in a museum yeah. is, is amazing. Uh there's also something about the, the feeling of the collective experience. Um, and, you know, a lot of, I think what I'm, I'm talking about in my promo and what I'm approaching in my work is this idea that it, it, it takes work to connect with people. Yeah. You know, it's not easy to connect with, with people all the time. I mean, of course you're going to meet people in your life with whom you just fall in love right away. <clears throat> and that feeling's great, but most of the people that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, it takes a little bit of work. And my my work is about honoring that moment where you're trying to relate to other people, whether it's the people in the photograph or the people that you want to see that photograph or both. Yeah, no, it's interesting. One one of my favorite series you did is uh, Newsstand 
Where it's just, dude, that series is so awesome. I was just kind of curious, like, uh, how, how that kind of came about and, like, was it all photographed in one city or what was that kind of project? All about? All, yeah, all New York subways. <clears throat> I don't know. I think I started this probably in, like, 2013 or 2014. It's been a while since I've added to it. Yeah. <clears throat> I... I don't know if I was looking for something to make a personal project. I mean, it was probably in the back of my mind because it seemed like there were more and more examples uh, of that in photography, you know, as I became more interested in the work that preceded me, the work that people were doing that inspired me, yeah. you know, a series, like a sort of thematically coherent body of work um, isn't just a good way to get people's attention it's a good way to think about what you're interested in, in the world. And, you know, I, I was in New York every year up until a few years ago, I was there at least once, if not twice a year to see friends. I'm from Pennsylvania. So I would jump down to Pennsylvania to see my grandmother and extended family. And, you know, I'd be riding the subway and I would see these, they're all men. <clears throat> I don't think I ever saw a woman working at one of these, mm-hmm. working with these, these candy stands or sort of like, um, underground bodegas and I was just fascinated by the color and I was thinking a lot about Andreas Gursky at the time and some images that he had made just the patterns because it's yeah like you said it's just colors and everything is like organized and it's like it's like almost like a pyramid basically it's wild it's just there was just so much visual information that I was met with and in fact this that was the last one that you showed was the only one where the gentleman didn't want to be photographed. Got it. Um, but I thought, okay, I'm going to start asking these guys if I can take their photo. And for the most part, they, they were cool with it. You know, like there was one who didn't want to be photographed. Year after I started the project, I went back to the locations that I'd photographed with Prince. Mm-hmm. And that was a trip because I, I was walking up to these guys, <clears throat> some of whom I found with printed photos of them and handing them to them. And you could see the look on their faces, which it started with sort of a like confusion that went to like, almost like a mild fear. Like, how do you have a photo of me? He didn't remember it. So like the light coming on, which was like, I remember this weird dude that asked if he could take my photo. Yeah. And their brain was making that connection and they would light up with just the biggest smile. And it was such a cool feeling. And so, you know, part of it was driven just by a curiosity about who these people are. And, uh, and then some of it was just, you know, purely visual, which is like, you could just sit and stare at these images, which in many of them, you can see that there are so many magazines up behind these guys yep. with so many images in them. Uh, it was, in a sense, kind of like eye candy, you know? And so I feel like people were going to buy from these stores the same thing that I wanted to provide in the imagery, which is like a snack, kind of. Yeah, I think it's just interesting because, like, you know, people living in New York, they interact like they interact with these guys like every day you're buying a water, you're buying a snack, whatever, but you forget that like, Hey, like these are people and there's like, but it's, it's like any like service worker stuff. I always just try to be like conscious of that. Um, Cause they're helping you out and things like that. But yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just one of those everyday things you don't think about as much, but yeah, I think this is my favorite this cause it's like, that was the other part of it too, is that these, these, these human beings seem to be receding into this visual cacophony yeah and 
I, I think in some ways I was, I was also trying to make the point like, Hey, there's a human being in here. Yeah, <laughs> like, man. They're, they're surrounded by all this stuff. And it, you know, especially in New York where it's just, everything is constantly moving so quickly, which is one of the things I love about it. These guys aren't asking for attention, you nope. know, uh, if, in, and in many cases they were a little confused and a little bit shy at first about even getting it. And I think part of that is because they're just not used to getting it. Yep. Another part of that is just having a camera pointed at you and, Maybe, uh, again, like, I think maybe some of these guys that there were, there were people that didn't want to be photographed. And I think maybe it was because they were concerned that they they did, it didn't make them feel safe. I don't know. They didn't, they didn't voice that concern, but that that's my suspicion. Definitely. Um, You know, where are these images going to end up? But it does make me curious about who, like, what are their families like? Where do they live? Like, who are these people? And in a sense, I, I was just kind of ringing that bell, which is like millions of people are passing through the subway every day. Right. Yeah, man. And these guys are watching that happen and they're there with your water and your candy bar and your magazine, but they're, they're also going home to their families and, you know, it, 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 they're contributing to the landscape of, of that city. I should say that after I started the series, I started looking for other examples. Like, has anyone else done this? And I can't remember the, the name. I'd have to look it up. It's been a while since I, I was I was working on this. But there are several examples of other people that have dedicated themselves to photographing, not quite in the same style, but the same basic content, which yeah. I think, again, you know, uh, if you dig into the internet, looking for examples of an idea that you have, <clears throat> either that you've executed on or that you're think of, thinking of executing on, you're probably going to find somebody else has, has done it. And oh, it, they, either, they either did it a long time ago or they're currently doing it and they're doing it in a way that's going to blow your mind, uh, which reminds me of a class I took in college is critical analysis class in which a professor was like, if in the next 50 minutes, any of you has an original idea, it'd be nothing short of a miracle. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah yeah it's like yeah i don't worry about it yeah because it's it's like it's your own take on it it's like yeah. people are never going to stop photographing like the golden gate bridge or yeah. or like the grand canyon it's like a million people have done it but it's like all right well let's see what you got what's your take you know that's how i kind of look at it yeah in a way it's 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 i think a, a lot of <clears> these <throat> contemporary photography on the internet is uh well i mean that's too broad i th- I, th- I think that there's there's too much emphasis on or has been a lot of emphasis on like what catches your eye right mm-hmm. like not just not with respect to the working photographers but <clears throat> what is going to get your attention right everybody's trying to get your attention yeah well uh whether it's advertising whether it's uh, Facebook or Google or Amazon or, or you name it, like just to name the big ones, which are, you know, it's easy to, t- to take aim on them, but everybody's trying to get your attention. And then all these amazing artists are trying to get your attention too. It's hard to fight the, I think what is the compulsion to make images that are just eye catching. Yeah. Uh, and the people that can that make eye-catching images that are also like very, very thoughtful, like those are the ones that I keep coming back to. But <clears throat> yeah, I think you're right. Like I'm looking for uh, other people's take on things that 
I have stopped paying attention to. And one of the coolest things about having a camera is you can draw people's attention to something that they just they're just overlooking. Yeah. You know? Hopefully okay. somebody riding the subway saw one of those images. Yeah. And they're like, hey, like I know that guy. <laughs> I, I buy water from him every day or whatever. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Definitely. Um, and you know, I was interested in talking to you because I know setting this up, you you mentioned you you've been uh, collaborating a little bit with A twenty four, which is a uh, amazing uh, like film production company. They did like uncut gems. Uh, they did. Uh, did they do good times? I forget if they did good times. Uh, well, it's a, it's same. Directors. Uh, the brothers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they, yeah. They, they might have. Either way, great, great uh, production company. I guess. Um, how do you kind of start working with them, and what kind of projects have you been doing with them? Well, it's, it was just, just the one we've been, we've talked about some other stuff, but uh, it came. So I was hired by a 24 to shoot pickups on the last black man in San Francisco. Yeah. And that came by way of another photographer who's a dear friend. Uh, uh, Michael O'Neill goes by Mo. Yep. Based in New York uh, used to be out here. A, a huge influence on me in a bunch of different ways has been enormously supportive he got an email uh, by someone that works at the company uh, about uh, the, the gig. He couldn't do it. He threw my name in the hat because <clears throat> he knew that I had shot um, on features before. And yeah, they reached out and they were like, hey, we've got this indie film. We need someone to shoot pickups. Uh, it's going to be Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, are you interested? We'd love, you know, to have a chat with you. Yeah. Um, by the way, we need a decision by like the end of the day. And yeah. this was a Thursday or well, like a Wednesday and the shoot was going to be on Saturday. And I'm like, this is a terrible idea. <clears throat> I don't know who these people are. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what their script is about. <laughs> I, I don't know who, like, I don't know anything. I'm going yeah. into this entirely blind and for anyone that's ever shown up on a feature set before, you know, uh, sight unseen, a little bit guarded, you know, and, and it's it, a lot of the, the work is, is really built around like there's a choreography to it. And, and some of that choreography is relationship building. And I thought, how in the world am I going to be able to make images that are useful? I don't, I don't even know what your movie's about. Yeah. Um, but I sent an email back and I was like, you know, I've learned the lesson, like always take the meeting. And they said, you know, I said, great. You know, I'm like, well, let's, let's chat later today. And and then I scrolled further down and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm emailing with a A24. It's like my favorite production company. Like, of course I'm going to say yes to this gig. Yeah. Uh, for no other reason than it would just be like, and you know, an honor to work with them. And I had mentioned my work was sorry to bother you and they got back to me and they're like, we love it. Let's chat. I chatted. I uh, let them know my concerns. They're like, we get it. This is what the movie's about. This is where we're shooting. It's going to Sundance. We don't really have any images that we feel like are appropriate for the way that we want to market the movie. Uh, we would love for you to come help us out. And um, yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I showed up on Saturday morning and I had two days to shoot with, the actors, uh, basically I was working closely with the director and, uh, and then the main actors. So, you know, um, Jonathan Majors and, and Jimmy Fails. So are you shooting like 
while they're actually acting and doing scenes or it's all set up stuff and you're you're creating imagery for advertising and marketing purposes for the movie pretty much you know i i was along you're always along for the ride um i was told to get images that they could use to promote the movie at sundance Mm -hmm. so the way i read that was it needs to look like a scene from the movie. It needs to have the, 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 the it, need, it needs to feel like a piece of, of uh, key art from the film, um, but not like the billing image. So this isn't like a studio shot. Of yeah, the yeah. It's got to, it's got to read like a piece of key art, but it's got to be in a scene that they're shooting <clears throat> more or less. And, uh, and so you know, I'm, I'm basically hanging out watching what they're shooting and waiting for an opportunity to make an image that I think is going to work. Mm-hmm. And then when they're moving from scene to scene or they're resetting the scene, I'm trying to get the actors to sit for me in a way that reads like it's part of the film, even if it might not be a scene from the film, but yeah. could work for promotion. So, you know, you're, 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 there's a lot of guesswork that goes into it. But some of that guesswork, if you haven't read, have an opportunity to read the script, and, and in this case I hadn't, is built around just being working quickly, being very specific about the questions that you're asking the producers, uh, and recognizing that like everybody's working on a super tight timeline, yeah, and uh, respecting that and not causing anybody any problems and that's probably the biggest part like you you know you don't trip over a cable like don't make any sound don't knock something over uh god forbid that's a prop that they would like need for the film you know that they couldn't get remade in a day like there are a million different ways that you could screw up yeah Um, but there are only a few different ways that you can get it right and i think some of that is just being frank with the people that are your contacts. And in this case, it was a couple of the producers for both A24 and Plan B mm-hmm. about what I, you know, wasn't sure about. And then they gave me notes after the first day that helped me on the second day, you know, add to the, the sort of library of images from which they could pull from. Oh, and the cool. image in this, in, in my promo that I used was, uh, you know, this is again, not something that's typical, but I brought some of my own lighting equipment, which sounds insane to anybody who's ever been on a film. But I brought the equipment because I thought, well, there may be an opportunity to photograph these guys where I won't have the the lighting, set lighting to work with, but I'll, I'll need extra light. And so that's what I did. And, you know, because I've worked on, I've assisted and shot on commercial sets. I, you know, I, I understand how to use their equipment to my advantage uh, in addition to my own strobes. And so I had an opportunity where I was like, Hey guys, like, can I get five minutes? I had, I had seen an opportunity to piggyback off of um, a set that had been built and so I got them into the set and I had like five minutes, which was amazing. And, 
they were very easy to work with and I was able to kind of get them into what I felt like was an iconic image. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cause the thing with the A24 that I respect is that you can tell they, they just respect the art, the creative, they're not, they're not just producing dog shit out there. It's everything they do is like calculated and it's like the, this highly creative, you know? Yeah. And, and, and Joe Talbot and Jimmy fails really deserve like the lion's share of the uh, credit, at least for this film, if if they had been working on this for years and it was their hard work and their diligence that got the film to a place where it could, it could really be made. Um, And then, you know, everybody else that helped make, bring this film to life, including the photographers that preceded me, Hi, as well. You can get to my my son real quick. No worries. Real quick. (laughs) All right, we're almost done. We're almost done. (laughs) Um, All of those people uh, preceded me in getting this thing to a place where my work could uh, be seen in the way that it was seen. So I would never have gotten the opportunity to work with A24. Yep. if it wasn't for all of those people. But um, again, the day of Joe, Jimmy, Jonathan, and then of course, you know, uh, Rob Morgan and, um, you know, s- some of the other people that are in the film, uh, Rob uh, Reichert, who co-wrote it, th- those people are the ones that I feel like, uh, yeah, I just am grateful to them. Like, Definitely. They, I couldn't have shown up and done the work. A24 brought me on. It was the people on set or too many to name here that yeah. made me uh, feel comfortable and gave me the opportunity to jump in and, and, and make those images. Totally. Uh, and, you know, again, man, photography is a, it's a t- team sport. You know, right. you can't do this job without coll- collaborating with a bunch of other people. Definitely. And uh, yeah, man, I guess to wrap up, like we're coming to the end of the year, uh, it's been a crazy year, um, but I guess what's next for you and kind of any goals moving into the new year, I guess, for your work or anything kind of moving forward? And the, the, well, the, the main goal, I think, in addition to getting the promo out is to really kind of, I don't want to say reignite my career because I haven't stopped working, but yep. this year I have, like many people, been... Um, yeah, I was sidetracked, you know, and some of that was certainly the shutdown pandemic. Some of it is, as you just heard, um, being a parent, I have a little boy who's two and a half years old. So, you know, my, he gets a lot of my attention. Definitely. And I think my goal is for this coming year to work writing more into my process. And again, that, that, that I made that comment earlier about the promo and that's why writing is a part of it. Uh, there are a handful of, of editors that I want to work with um, and people that I want to work with that I haven't yet worked with. Uh, but mainly, I think I just really want to continue to do this job. And, and I, you know, I feel very grateful to have gotten to do what I've got to do up to this point. I'd like to be able to continue to do it. You know, I, I feel like the opportunity to be a steward of photography however well I might be doing that. I think, you know, like we're all doing our best um, is, uh, is pretty awesome. And then I also want to spend a little bit more time. And one thing this promo process has taught me 
on pulling out the work that excites me the most within the portraits. And some of this is uh, a little bit more abstract portraiture work and using that to build out kind of new series or bodies of work that yeah. uh, I'm excited about. You hear everybody say, it, you know, make the work that you want to get, make the work that excites you. Definitely. Uh, and, and pursue that, right? Because if, if you're, if you're putting work out there that you didn't enjoy making, yeah, uh, you're probably going to get more opportunities to make work that you don't enjoy doing. <laughs> that's well. good, man. Well, yeah, I guess that's a good point to leave it, man, to shoot what you love and put it out there and just keep hammering away at it, man. But uh, Peter, man, it was great to connect. I'm finally glad we got to talk. And uh, I guess for people listening, if they want to check out more of your work, um, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so on my website, which is my full name, peterprada.com, it's P-R-A-T-O. And uh, just that's my handle for Instagram. So, but my website's where I'm, I'm putting out work. And then also, you know, if anybody has any questions, if there's anyone that is, uh, there are a bunch of people uh, that have given me advice and time over the years. Yep. Um, Joe Pugliese, Art yep. Strapper, Chris Buck, Michelle Watt, Emily Breezy, mm -hmm. so many people that have helped me. Um, interns of mine, Avery Wilcox, like there's all these people that have given their time and attention. Uh, Dan Paddock, Brandon Tozik. Check out Brandon Tozik's work if you don't know it. Definitely. Um, there are all these people out there that have inspired me and helped me. If there's anybody out there that has any questions, by all means, reach out. Uh, not just to me, but to people that are making work that inspires you because you'd be amazed at how willing people are just to, to make time for a phone call uh, and answer questions, whether it's about a shoot that you're nervous about or, you know, how to get into the business. Definitely. Well, Peter, man, have a good holidays and uh, uh, good luck in the new year, man. And uh, definitely stay in contact. All right. You too, Alex. I appreciate it very much. Thanks. Yeah, for thank you. All right. Bye. Take care. So there you have it. That was the Peter Prato interview. I uh, just want to thank Peter so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Uh, it was really interesting hearing his journey with photography and everything he's accomplished. Uh, really enjoyed his personal project, uh, Game of Chance, is photographing all the cards he finds on the streets. I just thought it was a really interesting and kind of cool project to work on. And I look forward to following along and uh, see seeing where that goes. Um, but definitely go check out Peter's work at peterprato.com as well as at, on Instagram at peterprato. I'll leave all the links in the description and uh, you definitely go give him a follow. He's got cool work up there. Uh, so I can't thank him enough. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, I'm doing a giveaway for my 200th episode coming up on February 11th. All you need to do to enter is go to the Photo Banter YouTube page, hit subscribe, and leave a comment on the 200th episode giveaway video, and you'll be entered for a chance to win the Sakonic L858D light meter. All you need to do is enter by February 10th, and I'll be announcing the winner on February 11th on the 200th episode. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as the Photo Banter YouTube page. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.